Welcome to the St. Richard's Episcopal Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Rev. Cameron Nations. For more information, please visit strichards.org. So the past few months, more or less, the lectionary has had us walking through the book of Exodus. I mentioned this last week. Now, there's been some huge chunks left out. We talked about that, too. Like, we never got to read about the plagues, which is a pretty significant part of that story. And we still have some chunks missing. But more or less, we've been walking the story of Exodus uh, over this last month and a half or so. And today we are brought to one of the most oft-quoted and probably famous, most famous, I almost said famousest, which is not even a real word, the most famous passages in all of Scripture, right? What is it? Okay, thank you, the Ten Commandments. Eight o'clock just kind of made me nervous. I was like, no, you, you should know this, I hope, I hope. Yeah, it's the Ten Commandments. Now, we also get the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy as well, but here we see them in the book of Exodus. And because this is one of the most oft-quoted passages of Scripture, I want to spend some time on it this morning, and actually next week as well. Today's sermon is a little bit of a two-parter. But don't worry, as I said to Aid, I'm only preaching one part today, okay? So you don't have to sit through both. But we will, we will pick back up uh, with some of this next week. And the reason I want to preach about the Ten Commandments is because it's oftentimes the passages of Scripture with which we are most familiar that we often cease to hear, right? We often cease to hear because we can just quote it uh, very easily. And so I want to spend some time on these commandments and what they mean for us today. Now, before we do this, I want to talk about the concept of law more broadly, both the law with a capital T and capital L, like that Moses receives from God and that um, the Israelites observed and and still do, um, that whole thing given to Moses, but also the law with a lowercase l. And what I mean by this is um, the obligations that you and I are told to live by in order to lead a holy life. As you may think, right, well, the law was for the people of Israel, and we don't have that anymore. We live under grace, right? Except that if church has ever felt like checking a bunch of boxes for you, then actually you know know full well that we can live under our own kind of law. And I want to talk about both of those in both this sermon and next week's sermon. Now, the law given to Moses was not just these Ten Commandments, but a whole lot more. They were instructions on a whole variety of religious and cultural practices that shaped and characterized the people of Israel. They talked about what you were to do and to sacrifice for certain things and to become ritually pure again, or how you were to treat certain people in your midst and things like that. And today, as I said, even though we don't perhaps have the same kind of capital L law handed to us, Uh, we do have a lot of cultural practices that shape and define who we are as God's people. Things like almsgiving, right? Giving to the poor, or expectations around saying our prayers, or a rhythm of life that's shaped around various yearly observances like Lent and Advent and Christmas and Easter and on and on, right? We have rituals and spiritual obligations just like ancient Israel. And both of these kinds of laws, 
both the capital L Mosaic Law, but also the sort of set of obligations that you and I share, carry the same danger. And that danger is the danger of legalism, of legalism. That is, getting caught up in following the letter of the law to such an extent that we miss the very point of it in the process. Like I said, if you've ever felt in church like you're just checking a bunch of boxes, you're familiar with what I'm describing here. Now this often gets uh, talked about in, in this cliche that really had its heyday about 10 years ago, but it still exists out there. Have you ever used this to describe your faith? That, well, you see, I, I don't have a religion. It's not about religion for me. It's about relationships. So at least I know some of you have heard about it. Yeah, there we go, there we go. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. How many of you have not heard this? Just actually, I'm just curious about this. Okay, a few. Y'all have a well-balanced life where you don't spend a lot of time on the internet, okay? So bless you, bless you, because that's really where you see this <laughs> is, is online a lot. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. And I've even used this to describe my own faith, right? That that's, and, and that's what we all strive for, right? It's about our relationship with God in Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Now, in this way, it is helpful. It is helpful in recalling us back to what is most essential about our faith, but it is also a false dichotomy. And it's a false dichotomy because it sets up this framework in which we have things like our cultural expectations around the expressions of our faith, how we pray, when we pray, coming to church, that sort of thing. And that's over here, and that's on, on this side. And then on the other side is this thing that's like this authentic and unadulterated relationship with God. And one of them is seen as lifeless and dead and bad, and the other one is seen as good and something we should all strive for, right? The problem with this, though, is that these two things are not separate, nor are they mutually exclusive, okay? And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, next week, I'm also going to spend some time individually with some of the Ten Commandments, okay? So we're doing two things today. We're talking about law and obligation more generally, and then we're going to talk about these laws and obligations that we hear about today. Now next week I'm going to talk about building idols and placing other things before God, because next week's story from Exodus, spoiler alert, is the golden calf. Okay, so that's what we get next week. So we're going to talk about idols then. Um, and so this week I want to talk about a few of these commandments we hear this morning, principally these, taking the Lord's name in vain, honoring one's parents, and keeping the Sabbath. Okay, those are the three I want to talk about today. Now you may be going, well, there's other commandments there too. And you're right, except that I'm just going to assume that not murdering, not stealing, or committing adultery are all fairly straightforward, right? <laughs> I, I hope I don't need to explain why we shouldn't do those things, okay, this morning. But I want to come back to this idea of what is the point of the law before we get to those three things um, that I talked about, before we talk about um, taking the Lord's name in vain, honoring one's parents, and keeping the Sabbath. Again, what is the point of the law? Whether that be the Mosaic law or the various practices and obligations that we follow to today. And the point of the law is this. Right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. Right? That's the point. It's right relationship with God and right relationship with one another. This is what all of these injunctions and rituals and obligations and calls to repentance are ultimately all about, which is right relationship. Right relationship. 
And this is why I would say it is difficult and even impossible to separate religion and our religious practices from our relationship with God because the point of the religious stuff is the relationship that they foster. Now, it's when we forget this that things really go wrong, sometimes terribly wrong. Okay. So let's talk about these commandments that we hear this morning, particularly these three that I mentioned earlier. We're going to begin with this one. You shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name i.e., thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. That's the one we all know. It's kind of like the Lord's Prayer. We only know the King James one, right? Like, that's the one we know. Okay. So how many of you also, show of hands, uh, were taught growing up that this had to do with saying or really not saying particular words or phrases? Yeah. Oh, yeah. How many of you, like, got in trouble for saying one one time? Yeah, that's right. We can all confess later. That's what we're about to do. Okay, we'll seek forgiveness. Now, I wanted to say, one of the reasons I'm pulling these three is because I think these three are the ones that we're very familiar with, but often sort of misapply or misinterpret. And we begin with this one. What does it mean to take God's name in vain? Right? Now, sure, you probably shouldn't say those phrases you got in trouble for. So we're going we're gonna to hold that up, okay? That's probably true. But taking the Lord's name in vain is actually something a bit different than that. It is doing something in the name of God that God himself actually would command you not do. In essence, taking the name of the Lord in vain is actually about bearing false witness. But instead of bearing false witness against our neighbor, which is another one of the commandments, right? Don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Basically, don't not just wrongly accuse your neighbor of something, but also do not ascribe to your neighbor uh, views or things that they themselves would not ascribe, okay? Basically, this commandment is doing that very thing, but to God. And this is why we're not supposed to do it, right? Um, and so that's what this means, and how this keeps us in right relationship with God and one another, I feel, is fairly obvious, right? Um, if we are ascribing things to God that God would not want us to do, uh, then that impairs our ability to hear God speak to us when God is speaking. So that's this first one we're going to look at. Now this one. I would have numbered these, but I'm taking them out of order, so I felt like that would not be helpful. So we've talked about that one. And then now, to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, for six days you shall labor and do all your work. This is the commandment around keeping the Sabbath. Now what does this mean? This one might seem extremely straightforward, and it is, pretty much, but the reason that I included it in this list is not because we misapply or misinterpret it. It's because we fail to do this. <laughs> Culturally, this one is an extremely challenging commitment and commandment to keep. Culturally, we don't make room for this very much. You and I have talked about this before in various ways, actually, about how we don't make a lot of room for religious observance. Any of you have youth in sports? You know this to be very true, right? Um, I mean, I even remember not that long ago when everything was closed on Sundays, right, in order to sort of help facilitate this in a way so that we could have Sabbath, build time in for our relationship with God and with one another. Now, why is this helpful? How does this keep us in right relationship with God and with one another? Well, it's pretty simple, I actually think, which is, when you're tired, how many of you are at your best 
How many of you have said things, done things, committed things when you're tired that you later go, well, I probably should have just taken a nap, you know? I certainly have. And I think rest is vital. I mean, this comes from the story of creation. God, who created the universe, took six days to do it and then decided to take a day off. And yet, culturally, we think we can just keep going and keep going and keep going, pushing ourselves harder and harder and harder. But I'll tell you, if the God of the universe can stop for a second and rest, we can too, right? We can too. So that's this one. All right, now the third thing. To honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving, is giving you. Now, this one I included because it's one that all of us can probably quote and probably have quoted if you're a parent and have probably had quoted at you if you are not a parent, right? Uh, because uh, uh, most of the time when we hear this, it's deployed and used in this context where honor equals obedience, right? We've heard this or used this in that way. And I will say that a part of honor does involve obedience, so I don't want to say that that's totally wrong. But the reason that I want to stop and talk about this one today is because perhaps fewer commandments are ever, um, again, misapplied in our daily life than this one. Because if you have had a very problematic and challenging relationship with your parents, this one has probably been a struggle for you. Wondering, how is it that I am supposed to honor my father and my mother when maybe I didn't even know one of them and maybe the one that I did know was abusive to me? How do I do this and why am I supposed to do this, God? And I just want to let you all know this morning that this is not a, to condone or allow for abuse. That honoring your father and mother does not mean putting up with an abusive relationship. And in fact, actually, honoring your father and your mother may look like you not continuing that cycle of abuse in your own life in order to break the chains of generational violence and trauma. Because to honor is really to live in accordance to an ideal. Whether your parents did or not, you can honor them by living differently than they did, right? If that is your experience. And so I just want to say that this morning because I have experienced in my own pastoral ministry people who struggle with this commandment. How do I do this? How do I live this out? But I want you to hear today that it is not an um, allowance for abuse and abusive behavior. Okay. So here we go. Those are the three that I wanted to talk about this morning using the Lord's name in vain, keeping the Sabbath day, and honoring your father and mother. And now, as I said, we're going to talk about uh, idols next week. So like I said, we're taking these out of order. But what is the point of all of these things, right? Going back to what I said at the beginning, the point of all of these commandments, the way that we enact and embody and practice our faith is meant for this one ultimate thing, and it is right relationship with God and right relationship with one another, with one another. Now, in today's passage from Philippians, and this is where I'll leave us for today, we hear Paul talk about his own religious accomplishments. And Paul obviously is very concerned with the law and how it works and operates for these new 
uh, people called Christians, that we call Christians, right? Um, and Paul is talking about all the things that he's done, about how he's kept all of the rules, he's been part of the right tribe, he's been affiliated with the right denomination, so to speak, right? He's, he's done everything, he's kept the law, he's checked all the boxes. And yet, as important as all of these things were and are to him, they are nothing, he says to us, compared to him knowing and being in relationship with Jesus. The language Paul uses here this morning is actually quite strong. When he said that he regards all of these things he's done as rubbish, the word that's translated as rubbish is actually, to like truly translate it, I wouldn't be allowed to say that word in church. <laughs> I'd get in trouble for, uh, for saying that in the pulpit. I mean, the language Paul's using here is really, really strong. Now, it isn't that the religious practices and all of that are not important. Far from it. And reading the full context of the letter to the Philippians, it's clear that these things are important to Paul. But Paul understands that our religion has to be more, has to be more than just checking all of the boxes. All that we do is about our relationship with Jesus, a relationship that directs, sustains, and inspires us to know God and to do God's will. Knowing Jesus is the central way of being in right relationship to God and to each other. Now, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi is written from jail, right? It's written from prison. And at multiple points uh, within it, he refers to his chains, chains that are not merely metaphorical. And so for Paul, this relationship with Jesus is tested, proven, and true. Now, I've said many times from this pulpit, and I will say it again this morning, that the reason we come to church is not to be seen as good people or morally upstanding individuals or to check boxes to partake in a kind of religious virtue so signaling, but rather the reason that we're here is to encounter Jesus, to have a transformational encounter with Jesus, to know him and to be known by him. We do all of the stuff that we do, the obligations, the prayers, the rituals, the practices, not because those are justifying in and of themselves, but because in them and through them, we come to be in deeper relationship with our Creator and our Redeemer. It is through these things that we strive to be in right relationship with God and with one another. And so today, as we anticipate part two next week, when we talk about idols and how those impair our ability to be in right relationship with God and one another, I want to borrow and end, uh, I want to end with rather borrowing again from Paul's words in Philippians. It's not that I've already obtained this, Paul writes, or have already reached the goal, right, of perfect relationship and union with, with God. But, he says, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Jesus Christ. Because that is what it's all about. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. For service times or more information on St. Richard's, please visit strichards.org.